Hello, and welcome to Knoll Country for Old Men. We're a podcast about board games, tabletop role-playing games, and tabletop war games. I'm your host, Troy. My pronouns are he, him. And today, I am joined by an aberration from beyond the stars. I am the star being not quite a star child. Uh, I haven't gone to Jupiter yet. But my name's Ed. My pronouns are they and them. And, uh... I'm, I am ready to behold. Yes, behold-er. Because today we're talking about the Beholder, one of the old-school classic monsters of Dungeons & Dragons, an aberration from another plane beyond the stars. It's, it's unclear. The exact location of where Beholders came from is not something that's really revealed in current editions of the game. But they are terrifying, xenophobic, isolationist, paranoid monsters, and, uh, yeah. I've heard it described, uh, on a couple of occasions that they are Lovecraftian monsters, given Lovecraft's own, like, mindset. Oh, that's a sick burn. Yeah, although I would say they're not, they're a little, like everything else, they're turned up to 11. Um... As far as I know, H.P. Lovecraft could not shoot death rays from his eyes. Yeah, we'd have to ask uh, what remains of his estate on that one, but I don't think he could. Yeah. He might have wanted to. Do not ask about the name of his cat. Uh, I I think I might know what it is, but I'm not going to ask. Yeah, and don't, yeah, just don't ask. But before we get into Beholders... We have a segment on this podcast called The Week in Hobby, where we talk about what we've done the last week in role-playing games and nerdy stuff. I'll go first. I had two Eberron campaign games this week. Um, In the first one, the party investigated a weird signal that the artificer friend of theirs was picking up. Uh, it led them to a an area of Sharn uh, known as Long Stairs. There was some huffing and puffing as they climbed the stairs to this district. I'm guessing um, that the stairs were, in fact, long. Yes, I had a great map that was just, like, all stairs going up a thing. I, I pull a lot of maps online, and this one was perfect for this. Excellent. Um, they discovered a church that had formerly belonged to the Blood of Vol, which is a kind of cultish organization and had been taken over by some warforged uh inside there was a big statue of a spiky warforged made out of various you know random components and in the basement they were there were some warforged experimenting with opening a portal of some kind the experiment malfunctioned as two of the players investigated it while invisible and um then a bunch of modrons started pouring through First turn, there was one. The second turn, there was two. The third turn, there was four. No! And it just kept go- coming, and they started getting bigger and more dangerous ones. And while it initially wasn't that dangerous, the party quickly realized that that's a lot of things, and they just keep coming, and they're going to outnumber us and be able to do a lot more actions each turn than we can real quickly. So they tried to shut it down, determined that the controls were damaged and couldn't be used, and that they had to short out the generator. 
which would damage anyone who was nearby. But, you know, you had to be standing next to it to short out the generator. That's how short circuits tend to work. Yep. Uh, it went off. It did a lot of lightning damage to the artificer and uh, also killed a couple of the Modrons that were chasing her. Were the um, uh, were your party members at least wearing their arc flash gear? No. Uh, that's bad times. Yeah. You might want to call um, OSHA on that one. Yeah, uh, Brielish OSHA. Yep. Um, well, it, it didn't really matter because they they did that. They managed to defeat the last of them. And then the two party members who were investigating claimed to be Faye summoned by the portal and fled. Using Dimension Door. Um, so now, now there's rumors about a Fae attacking a group of Warforged in Shrine. Um, yeah, so he claimed that he was summoned through the portal along with the Modrons. Um, so that's where that party is. They've got a big... They are also throwing a big party in the next session. Party! Um, which was something they had planned and were going to do before they got on this little tangent of trying to find out what these Warforged were up to. Um, one of them was like, ah, oh, they're trying to summon an army of Modrons, which is not at all the case. Clearly that person missed the entire spiel earlier about how the Warforged should be building their own god. Um, or at least didn't connect the dots there. That, uh, yeah. The other group managed to finish, also did some artificer-related shit, actually. As they descended into the lair of the Armorer, a, an insane artificer who had been um, roaming the Mornlands and, uh, yeah, was also responsible quite a while ago for killing the mentor of one of the party members. Uh, they'd found some evidence about that and so were interested in confronting him. And they did. And they fought him. And he got into a giant mech suit and punched them for a bit. Um, and then, like, he had turrets that were shooting at them as well. And they defeated the mech suit and then defeated him. And then, like, he, he had a deathbed confession bit. And then they tore him apart with dinosaurs. When did this turn into cyberpunk? I mean... All of this was magic-powered, but yeah, it was a little cyberpunk. Magical cyberpunk. I guess getting there via teleportation portals is less cyberpunk. Normally you'd take, like, an elevator or something. Well, I guess in Eberron you could do, like, a cyberpunk-themed game. Because you have... With uh, Eberron, you can definitely do the, uh, the low-life aspect of cyberpunk and then you can use just kind of their persistent magical engineering as the high tech end of it low life magitech yeah low life magitech there you go um and the houses fit the um like mega corporations quite nicely yep. it, it's entirely possible to do reject um, fantasy embrace cyberpunk my this eberron campaign has been doing borrowing some cyberpunk stuff uh, House Caneth, they've been working for House Caneth, and it has acted a bit cyberpunky. Some of the missions they've done have involved, like, rooting out spies or escorting items to various labs and stuff like that. So they they borrowed that. Although I tend to treat it more steampunk than cyberpunk. Um, 
And then I was in a Spelljammer game. Uh, but I think, Ed, you're going to want to talk more about that. Oh, boy. Uh, and how did we jam some spells? Except not quite yet. Uh, our party, we defeated some crystal crystal growth monsters in the previous session. And uh, this time we did a little bit more uh, investigating and met an auto gnome who has a uh, very large ship that we suspect is a spell jammer. So uh, we have to go get some notes from a man named uh, Leonardo, or at least the remains of a man named Leonardo who has an uh, astronomer's tower. Uh, fought some more of those crystal entities and then some elemental things, which... Uh, even as a samurai, I still had a surprisingly hard time fighting. Uh, almost got killed by a smoke monster. Which, hey, not great. I got trapped in mud by said by one of those methods and did absolutely nothing. Yes, but you also didn't take any damage. Yeah, I was just ignored because I was trapped in mud. Just cover, um, just cover the warforged in mud. It'll be fine. Which is why when we got to the final one, I just killed it immediately. Yep. And um, then we uh, we found a gigantic telescope, and uh, your character's having some romantic moments with said telescope. I look, made, what uh, goes on between me and the telescope is uh, none of anyone else's business. I used my pseudopod appendages to make shadow puppets in front of the lens. Yeah. So that was... Uh, that was Spelljammer. It's nice to be on the, uh, I guess you could say the receiving end of a campaign rather than running it. Um, it's a lot less stressful, and I think my campaign just kind of uh, dragged on a bit too long. Rhyme of the Frostmaiden might have been a bad choice for a first campaign. Um, so that was pretty much my entire week of hobby. Everything else has been uh, overtime, out of town, work, travel, and studying for class. And that's basically all I can really do. <laughs> I ha don't really have any, any time or any mental acuity left for anything really hobby-related. Um, maybe today... I'll get a chance to poke around at one of our local game stores while we run some errands. Uh, I wanted to see if I could check out the uh, Dungeon Crawl Classics book, since that could be could be fun for a short campaign. I don't know. But, yeah, mostly just work, not a whole lot of hobby lately, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, not stuff. Stuff happens. I mean, the more I get paid, the more hobby stuff I can do. But at the same time, I've got so much stuff that I'm working on that I don't really need to collect anymore. <laughs> I still have to put all. I still have to get all my Blood Bowl stuff prepped and ready to go. But before I do that, I wanted to at least get my starting unit of uh infinity stuff out of the way because i think i'm probably just going to roll with that robot setup for a little while and forget about the uh <clears throat> the transhuman uh specialists i guess yeah 
So once they're cleaned off the table, I'll feel a little bit uh, more justified in working on some Blood Bowl stuff. Yeah, that'll... I mean, I need to get a Blood Bowl team, but I gotta find the Skaven to do it. So, uh... Yeah, yeah. I've, I've got a couple. I have the two that come with the base set. Um, I have the Dark Elves, who are my main team that I run with. And then... I want to get some of the official GW Amazons, because I've got a kind of cool, like, Mesoamerican aesthetic. And it was nice to see on the box art that they actually went with uh, some melanated skin tones to go with that aesthetic rather than just making them uh, white ladies in uh, somewhat Aztec cosplay. Uh, but I also have some 3D uh, design ones from Hero Forge that I describe as kind of like beach barbarians because they have like gigantic shells as. Uh, shoulder pads and they have like gigantic uh leaves as like parts of the uniform and stuff like that so i like those ones too um i just haven't gotten around to really getting my 3d printer all cleaned back up after it had its uh little accident <laughs> a couple months yeah. ago yeah yeah all right so that has been the week in hobby we need some reverb in there i can do that in post Woo! hobby so, Beholders. Behold! Beholders are spherical orbs about uh, four to six feet in diameter with a number of tentacles coming off of which, each of which ends in an eye. They have one giant singular cyclopean eye in the center of their face and a giant mouth full of teeth directly below that. They That's actually are... smaller than I thought it would be. They can be up to eight feet wide, although most normal beholders don't get that big. Uh, some of the beholder kin, which are sub-variants, and there's a lot of sub-variants. We're not even going to cover all of them in this. Um, can be bigger, or in some cases, much smaller. Uh, beholders are also known as eye tyrants, or a sphere of many eyes. They are a classic D&D-specific monster, uh, first alluded to in a 1974 letter by Gary Gygax, where he described them as a sphere with 11 eyes, and each eye throws a high-level cleric or magical spell, and the main peeper is anti-magic. <laughs> the main peeper? Why does, that just, rem- why does that just sound so Midwestern? Yeah, you have to remember, Gygax was from the Midwest, so... He's got a big yeah. peeper, eh? Oh, wait, no, oh, that's, yeah. that's Canadian. That's too far. That's too far north. Yes, but, you know, fairly similar. It's close enough. Um, they were first officially published in the 1975 Greyhawk supplement, where they were on the cover with artwork that um, uh, looks like kind of disappointed or bored, honestly. Um, it, it's weird. We're going to use it as the cover art for this episode, so uh, you can see it. It's great. The original Beholder's artwork is very derpy. Um, the modern Beholder artwork is terrifying monstrosities. Yep. Although not as um, terrifying when you put googly eyes on the cover of your monster manual. Yes, uh, which I don't recommend you do if you're planning on storing it on a shelf, because those googly eyes will not fit. I do have a uh, bunch of googly eyes on my desk, coincidentally, but that was mostly for putting googly eyes on the Roomba. Oh, I've I've put googly eyes on so many weird things i bought a pack of them once 
become ungovernable, put googly eyes on everything. Yeah, I, I put them on uh, some postcards at work, <laughs> which is pretty great. Um, but beholders are aberrations. Theoretically, they originate in other planes. The exact origins are kind of a mystery in this current edition. Older editions had them as the spawn of a monstrous, like, miles-wide beholder elder mother thing that roamed the lower plains insatiably eating anything in her path and fighting everything and just constantly spawning off eggs and stuff. Behold me, mommy. Um, that is not something that gets brought up anymore. Um, <laughs> we, don't, we don't talk about Beholder Mommy. Yeah, the Beholder Mommy. Um, that one doesn't really get brought up anymore. The There, there have been a lot of articles and stuff about Beholder Biology. Um, I take it as... None of it's really canon anymore. The current Beholder Biology is pretty loose. The thing is, beholders can be wildly different um, in coloration, in like this type in the surface of their body, whether it's covered in scales or just rough leather, or it, whether it like oozes with goop, or what their eyes look like, or their teeth. Or there is a huge variety in in style for a beholder um, because, of course, they're aberrations from beyond the planes like every beholder is unique uh some of them look similar but they're all supposed to be very very different they're all new all unique and all the uh, uh epitome of beholderdom yes and every beholder believes that it is the perfect and only true beholder uh there's Behold, a no true scotsman the fallacy true beholder there's a no true Scotsman fallacy thing buried in the Beholder. They are... Every Beholder is convinced it is the epitome of Beholders, and that Beholders... And they disdain and hate all other species and all other Beholders. To some, to a greater or lesser extent. Um, they... This means they fight amongst themselves as much as they fight amongst other races, and conquer and rule the same stuff. Um, I personally think that the various biology articles about beholders can all be true. It's just that, you know, beholders are so different. It's that those biology articles were for a specific beholder. And it turns out that the beholder in the next setting over is different. Oh man, our research is going to get so much more difficult now. Yeah, don't, researching Beholders would be very tricky. Partially because, you know, they're a CR-13 CR monster, so most adventuring parties are going to have a bad time. And why are they going to have a bad time? Well, it's not just because Beholders are xenophobic, isolationist, paranoid monsters that, you know, float around with a giant mouthful of sharp, pointy teeth and, you know, like to eat stuff. It's because they can cast spells from each of their eyes. The primary big eye has an anti-magic cone. Which is, um... Sounds fun. It's 
the meanest thing you can throw to a party that includes any sort of caster. Womp. It's a 150-foot cone. At the start of each of its turn, the beholder decides which way the cone faces and whether it's active. And no magic works in the area of the cone. Nothing. You can't cast spells. You can't uh, use magic items. Nothing. Even the beholder's own eye rays don't work in the area. (laughs) But if you can trap a wizard in that area, then they're reduced to um, throwing rocks, maybe? Wait, or, can I can I uh, give you this one d4 dart in this trying time? Yeah, throwing rocks or darts or maybe they're lucky enough to have a crossbow. But uh, that, that that's about what they're reduced to. Your magic doesn't work in that zone, um, which really sucks. Yep. Uh, and then they have ten eye rays. Um, in current edition. The Beholder rolls at random to see which eye rays it's going to fire. Uh, Previous editions have sort of just allowed it to use whichever ones it wanted, um, or to only use a certain number each turn in different directions. Uh, I'm not sure if I like the random element. Uh, I would go with, like, maybe creating a set of what it can use or something. I don't know. I, I'm i not sure I'd use the random element of what it can fire. But the standard eye rays are a charm ray, a paralyzing ray, a fear ray, a slowing ray, an innervation ray, which is uh, necrotic damage, a telekinetic ray, a sleep ray, a petrification ray, a disintegration ray and a death ray and uh in some instances a uh, ray romano yes the the death ray is a uh, ray romano <laughs> um basically the beholder has 10 different ways to mess you up um get wrecked the the primary trick is to pin down the enemy casters with the anti-magic, and then just zap anyone who gets close with every ray you've got. Uh, Death and Disintegration being um, classic moves, Uh, although Petrification is fantastic against uh, things like Paladins who don't have great deck saves. The Sleep Ray is great for anyone who doesn't have a great Wisdom save. The you know each of them does different saves, so you can really pick apart a party. Um, and beholders are geniuses; they're very smart. So, classic beholder tactics are involves flying up to the roof of a cavern and shooting down at people. <laughs> they, they get me they now. Yeah, the all they can do is hurl hurl uh, ranged attacks at you. And they can't use magic ranged attacks because you're covering those people with your anti-magic ray. And if they try to fly up to you using magic, you uh, turn your anti-magic ray on the person who is flying and cause them to fall. Oh, no. Um, Beholders are mean. Yeah. And, of course, a beholder's lair is built around this whole concept of beholders being able to fly. They may cover the floor in traps because, well... They're not going to set them off. 
uh, they may set their like personal lair directly in the ceiling above the main thing with little holes in it so that they can look down and see into the main cavern and shoot through it. Oh no, he's the he's the Panopticon manager. He can see us. Yeah, and if he can see you, he can fire a death ray at you. That's <laughs> Work what you faster. get. For, that's what you get for slacking off. I just um, I okay. I think we need a. Uh... We need a beholder villain who is running like a sweatshop and has has his like little managerial panopticon. I like it, although I think you'd want to go with one of the weaker beholders rather than the full on one. Just because that makes more sense. Uh isn't there um, isn't there one called like a spectator? There's a whole bunch of them. We'll cover beholder kin a little later. Um But beholders, generally speaking aren't solitary or if they are solitary it's just that they aren't working with other beholders they collect minions <laughs> uh First beholders edition. well beholders like to have enslaved minions essentially boo slavery yeah boo slavery and they do it through repeated use of fear ray and charm ray to sort of scare people and then make them love them and then scare them and make them love them and also, yeah. Beholder Cult Leader could be a cool idea. Definitely. Uh, beholders basically break people's mind through repeated use of their effects because they can just do them as much as they want. Um, and they do that until they can, uh, yeah, until they have minions that are loyal to them. These minions can range from any, from, you know, all sorts of things. Uh... Human bandits, bugbears, goblins, hobgoblins, kobolds, troglodytes, orcs, lizard folk, fire giants, hook horrors, manticores, minotaurs, trolls. And of course, they also sometimes like to have pets, which could be something like a basilisk or chimeras or hellhounds, wyverns. Or sometimes a goldfish. Of, in one particular occasion, a very well-taken-care-of goldfish. Um, but these are all things that they can set up to defend their lair, if need be. Meaning that a the lair of a beholder is typically quite well-defended and um, pretty hard to get into. Especially if your party is not fully prepared. Because remember, beholders are paranoid, insane geniuses. They are prepared for you to show up and start fighting them. Uh, when running a Beholder, it really behooves the Dungeon Master to act like you are ten steps ahead of the party and to have the Beholder just have things that can be used specifically to mess the, with the party. It behooves uh, and beholds you. Yes, the Beholder is almost certainly spying on the party as they come into the area surrounding its lair. It is almost certainly figuring out what the party has, like in terms of equipment and abilities and allies, and is making plans and has already activated plans that will reduce those resources, that will give the beholder an edge, that will directly counter some of the stuff the party is probably going to do. He's got plans within plans within plans. Yes. Um, in fact, there is a quote in the Volo's guide to monsters in its section on beholders that is from elminster in the fiction and it goes 
Think ye weave cunning schemes and elaborate intrigues with fallback plans and positions? Beholders change, refine, discard, and spin anew scores of such plans all the time. To the average beholder, human intrigues are the fumbling of babies. Man, Beholder sounds like the worst kind of manager, just changing shit just for the sake of change. Yeah, Beholders, as we are learning, are the worst managers. Yes. They're xenophobic, they're paranoid, they constantly change shit, they are always looking over your shoulder, I they, don't think they would have like death rays. Oh, they would hate unions. Any form of organization that they do not control, they are definitely killing. And the current edition thing of how you get more beholders, uh, how beholders breed, is um, weird, but I like it. Essentially... Do they, do they clone themselves? Sort of? They split in half? Okay, when beholders dream... It can sometimes involve their magical power running a bit wild. <laughs> and, um, yeah, there's no biology involved in a new Beholder being born. It's magic and a Beholder dreaming that may have a dream involving uh, images of itself or mirrors or other Beholders. Uh, its magical powers can create a warp in reality from which a new, fully formed Beholder springs forth, seemingly having appeared in thin air. So we're going the Athena route. Got it. Effectively, yes. Um, also, if the new do, beholder beholders, looks, do Beholders dream of lightning sheep? Um, I think they dreamed of, like, single-eyed, tentacle-eye sheep. Terrifying. Sorry, yeah, continue. That, that float, that have no legs and just kind of float around in the air. It has a mouth, um, so it can scream. Oh, yes. Well, not all Beholders have mouths, but we'll get to that. Um, if the new Beholder looks and is very similar to the old one, it might work together with its erstwhile parent. Uh, if not, they may immediately try to kill each other. Oh, no. It's the clone saga. Yeah, um... If they don't immediately kill each other, then the new one will often leave and go found its own lair with Blackjack and Hookers. <laughs> um, although that doesn't always happen. Uh, sometimes when the Beholder does the thing, it if the split is a perfect clone, or several perfect clones, and they all work together, almost like a hive mind, except not actual hive mind, they're not psychic. They just all have the same personality and the same goals, and so, you know, it's, like it's just Saddam that... Hussein and his body doubles. Exactly. Or any of those things where you get, like, a group of clones working together for one purpose. Um, they probably argue amongst themselves, but they all work together on shit. Uh, this is a Beholder Hive, and it's, uh, you know, two to three times as dangerous as a normal group of Beholders. Terrifying. Um, and so now I guess it's a good time to talk about some notable famous beholders uh i've only managed to pull up three weirdly enough beholders are not well represented among the uh major dungeons and dragons um modules or at least none not the re recent ones um i think possibly because they're mostly presented as paranoid megalomaniac insane types they don't get a lot of characterization. 
And so we only have a couple of them that are, you know, named and reoccurring enough for people to care about them. And the first one is everyone's favorite. Well, most people's favorite. Xanathar! Yay! Xanathar is the leader of a criminal syndicate uh, below the city of Waterdeep in the Faerun Forgotten Realms universe. Uh, he has a pet fish named Silar that he is incredibly protective of. Uh, the guild itself that he runs has a number of humans and demi-humans and elves and dwarves and other races involved. Um, he just happens to be the one in charge of everything, and he has his whole organization built up. Um, Xanathar is paranoid and megalomaniacal and all the other stuff. He just feels that working alongside these humans to accomplish his goals is the best way to make shit happen. Fair enough. And, of course, you know, they bring him fancy stuff for his pet fish, so that's important. Gotta respect yeah. an aberration that likes fish. That's yes. me. That's definitely me. Yes. Uh, Xanathar is also known for his Xanathar's Guide to Everything, which is great because it has notes by him in the margin about, well, his opinions on the various types of things that are going on in the book, which is pretty entertaining. I do like that book. It's good, good solid source book. D and D should do another one of those, and not another one of whatever Spelljammer was. Yeah, not 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 something like Spelljammer. I I haven't read too deep into Xanathar's. I think I've only read enough to like figure out what I need for the game. It's solid. It covers a lot of important stuff in great detail. I do have to say that like. A third of the back material probably should have been in the Dungeon Master's Guide and wasn't, for whatever reason. Um, yeah. Yeah. But anyways, Xanathar! A classic one. The next one is Manxon. He is a Forgotten Realms beholder as well. Uh, he is a villain, a member of the Zentarim which are an organization of assassins and spies and merchants and mercenaries. They're a classic villain group that operates all over the Forgotten Realms. He's a beholder who is among their leaders. Uh, he also happens to have a helm of telepathy that has been resized to fit him. <laughs> um, he shows up in a few older things. I, I don't know a whole lot about his personality other than, you know... He, he, he's a standard beholder uh, who works with the Zentarim and sees them as sort of the way Xanathar sees the crime syndicate that he runs. Uh, minions. Minions, yeah. Useful minions to accomplish the things he wants to do. He's not the only leader of the group, uh, which is impressive. It means he you know, recognizes other people as being at least as powerful as he is, uh, which is unusual for a beholder. But, uh, you know... A re useful tool. And the last one is the sort of exception that proves the rule in terms of beholders. It's Large Luigi. <laughs> that is the best name. Large Luigi is an incredibly rare, non-evil beholder who is a bartender operating a tavern on the Rock of Brawl. That's awesome. He is a spelljammer beholder who will serve you drinks. Rather than serve you death. Uh, he hails from a world in the old Spelljammer lore 
that is a disc world populated primarily by beholders and other aberrations with a giant spire through the middle of it. And the concept was that if a beholder could reach the top of the spire, they would gain immense cosmic knowledge. And large Luigi, uh, actual name at the time unknown, was one of the rare few beholders who, who completed the journey. And upon reaching the top, he gained phenomenal cosmic knowledge. And this changed him. And he became less evil and was thus immediately shunned and, you know, declared to not be a true beholder by all the other beholders. Um, so he fled the this world full of beholders, hopped on board a spelljammer ship, and ended up on the Rock of Brawl, where he serves as a bartender and information broker. Um, there's some speculation that he may have seen beyond the veil of the gods and known that the world is truly manipulated by a strange group of beings known as role players. But that's merely speculation. Uh, large Luigi, fun, a, a way to use a beholder that is not typical. Um, also his, I think, Death Ray Eye has been switched to Zone of Truth or something of on that similar. So he's not as much of an immediately kill you and more of a, like, just learn stuff. I, I stand Large Luigi. Yeah, Large Luigi is a fan favorite. I mean, just having a non-evil beholder who serves drinks is pretty great. And the name is fantastic. But beyond these famous beholders, we have to get to the Beholder Kin, which is the, the, the variations on beholders, because there are a lot of them. We start with the Death Tyrant. Beholders only have a lifespan of like 100 to 150 years, and, you know, being intensely paranoid xenophobics who believe themselves to be the perfection of the universe... They fear death, obviously. Sometimes, while dreaming, they end up in realms that uh, they shouldn't go to. Realms that, you know, are linked to undeath and negative energy and stuff. And then, when they awaken, having dreamt deeply of death and warped the universe, they find themselves turned into a death tyrant, which is an undead beholder. Terrifying. Uh, there's also beholder zombies, which are not discussed here because they're just zombified beholders. Brains. A death tyrant is basically a beholder lich. Um, yep, don't the, want that. Yeah, the anti-magic ray is turned into a negative energy ray. Um, down, man. Which uh, prevents healing and anyone killed in that area gets turned into a zombie that is controlled by the death tyrant. Um... They have a bunch of other rays. They're they're just extra extra mean. Undead beholders, not a great combination. Uh, you also get the beholder mage. A beholder mage is a beholder who has lost the central magic eye, either due to combat or disease or accidentally tripping and falling onto a spiky rock, which is weird that that would happen to a species that flies. Um, and to compensate for the lack of being able to just anti-magic everyone has learned arcane spells 
Fine. Uh, Beholder mages are not technically in 5th edition, I believe, but they are a reoccurring thing in previous editions, so homebrew that shit. Yep, do it. Uh, in Spelljammer, there is the Asteroider. Uh, say that ten times fast. Weird name, which, but okay. They are beholders with a... They are large beholders with a rocky X, like, outer skin layer, and only the one eye, they don't have the tentacle eyes, that hide in rock fields floating in the wild space, and, uh, they're asteroids that eat things. Nice. They're... they're Hence the name. It's Asteroid Eater. They look like asteroids and then wait for someone to... And then ambush predator people. Basically, you've turned a beholder into the worm thing from Empire Strikes Back. You beat me to it. Yes. Uh, The Death Kiss is the beholder that doesn't have a mouth. Uh, It doesn't have extra eyes either. It's kind of a vampiric beholder. Where it's an orb with a bunch of tentacles, and the tentacles drain the blood from the people they touch. Also terrifying. They're also quite... They're much smaller. They're only like a foot or two around. Uh, the Eye of the Deep is an aquatic beholder with uh, two of its tentacles have are giant, like, crab claws. Nice. Um, it is a... The Eye of the Deep is proof that carnification even affects beholders. <laughs> Given enough time, even a beholder will turn into crab. Reject, uh... Reject (laughs) Reject. modernity, embrace crab? Apparently, yes. Uh, The Gauth are smaller, weaker beholders, sometimes called lesser beholders. They only have four eye stalks. Uh, They're only about, like, three feet around. They're... Magical powers are weaker. They're just like mini beholders. Mini holder. Um, these are the ones that I would say should be your sweatshop managers. Mm. He's um, a petty middle manager. It's perfect. Exactly. They're the petty middlemen of the beholder lineage. Um, so yeah, the Gauth are just lesser beholders. When you want to have a beholder face your party, but your party's only level six or something. Um, and then there are spectators, which you mentioned earlier. Spectators are smaller beholders still. They're only like one to two feet around. They are summoned from the outer planes and can be bound into service to protect an area for 100 years. Nice. Um, they're more like extra dimensional beholder cousins than they are like proper beholders because they don't speak. I don't think they have a mouth even. I thought, um, they, I thought they did. I have a I have a miniature of I think of a spectator. It turned out really cool. Well, the Gauth has the mouth stuff. The spectator maybe maybe it was the Gauth because this one has four four eye tentacles. Yeah, that's probably the uh, Gauth. Yeah, I think of of all the the minis that I've made over the years, I think that one is probably one of my favorites. Even though it's I've had it for a while. Actually, it might be a spectator. A spectator does have a mouth. I was wrong. Um, But spectators are only challenge rating three. They have a... Like, their main eye is a spell reflection thing, so it doesn't cancel the uh, attack as much as it just kind of prevents it from hitting it. Um, The Gauth is CR6. It has... Okay, yeah, the Gauth has... um, 
six eye stalks. The spectator only has four. Yeah, so then it's a uh, spectator that I did the miniature of. Yeah. You know, there's a varying stacked levels of the thing. Uh, Gouths also explode when they die. <laughs> nice. Um, doesn't do a lot of damage, but they do explode. Uh, and the last one is the the kind of silly one, the Gazer, which is a teeny tiny one. I do have some miniature Gazers. They're yeah. almost too small to paint. Yeah, they are only about eight inches w- wide. They have four eye stalks. They are intelligence three, meaning they are animal smart mm-hmm. or animal dumb. Some wizards use them as familiars. Um, they're, they're not real threatening. Uh, yeah. Yeah, tiny eyeball, not really threatening. Tiny floating eyeballs that can be used for wizard familiars if your wizard is really into beholders. And, you know, there's a bunch of other old beholder kin that show up in previous editions. Uh, There's too many to really go into them in details. Um, There's the one that's like the ogre beholder. Yeah, I... I'm glad they haven't brought all of them back because some of them were just dumb, too weird. Um, one was like a roper beholder kind of thing where it looked like a tree with a giant eye and it stood around. Let's just go ahead and say that not all of the second edition beholders were good <laughs> or even worth having around. The beholders themselves would argue that with you. Yes, they would agree with me on this. Um, I think we have most of the good ones. Um, there's probably one or two more that might be worth bringing in, and I'm sure they will at some point. Uh, I think they should really create an adventure path that has a Beholder as one of the primary antagonists and give us a new Beholder character that people can get into. Um, I think that's what you should do if you want more Beholders, is invent Beholder characters that people can like and you know think about rather than just having xanathar and large luigi and the other manx on who i only knew about because i looked up looked into deep beholder lore for this episode deep beholder lore yes and of course beholders being iconic and weird that means they show up outside of dungeons and dragons although really clearly they were created specifically for it um not as much as, say, like, dragons do, but then again, they're not dragons. Beholders have shown up in Futurama uh, as a sight gag inside the central bureaucracy. I see where you're going now, because I've been listening to a lot of the stuff with the OGL drama, and I was like, wait a second, beholders are, like, one of the few things that uh, Wizards, like, has a genuine, like, trademark interest in that they could protect. So it's like, where where would they have shown up? But I see what you're going for now. They showed up as a sight gag in Futurama. Um, in many of the places that they do show up, they are just referred to as eye beasts rather than beholders um, in order to kind of avoid the potential TSR, Wizards of the Coast, copyright infringement issues. It doesn't behold, it's a beast. It's an eye beast. You, you don't have a copyright on a floating eye. Um... It could be argued. Uh, Heroes of Might and Magic 3 had Beholders that I think were eventually 
became like eye tyrants or something like that if you oh, upgraded yeah. them. Oh yeah, they were like they were kind of like a like a brain that like walked on tentacles, but basically kind of was like a beholder that just walked like a squid. Yeah, they were, but they were. Uh, I think one of them were called beholders. Um, Probably it's it's been a while since I played that one, but that's a, a perennial classic. Never gets yes. old. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China. I haven't seen the John that movie. Carpenter film. Oh, you you need to watch it. It is very Dungeons and Dragons. Nice. As they much go of a, into a as much of a John Carpenter fan that I am, I'm surprised that that's one that I just seem to miss. That is one of his best. Nice. Um, and it features a beholder esque monster. I would say it's more of a spectator because it primarily seems to follow the heroes around and like spy on them. And then report on their activities to Lao Fang, the evil Confucian lich? Question mark? I'm, let's just go ahead and say that that movie has so much Dungeons and Dragons stuff that I think we're going to have to do an episode where you watch Big Trouble in Little China and I watch it. And then we just discuss the movie for an hour. Oh boy, we're doing the, we're doing the movie rewatch podcast here. Well, we could come up with a list of D&D-related movies, possibly including the original Dungeons & Dragons movie. It's been so long since I've seen that one, I don't remember anything about it. I watched the trailer for it recently, and oh, it has not aged well. Oh, boy. I don't think it aged well between being filmed and being released in theaters, but... Uh, yeah, it, the... it didn't age well on its own. Yes, but anything past that, you know... And then the last one, of course, is the Goblin Slayer anime. Oh, boy. Has a an eye beast monster. It's a beholder. It's very clearly meant to be a beholder um, that the heroes have to fight in one of the episodes. Uh, they kill it via a flower, a bag of flower-induced dust explosion. Mm -hmm. That's creative. Yes, that's one of the primary things about that series is that it, it, it plays out like a D&D &D campaign where the leader of the party decided, you know what, fuck you, guy. I don't want to be part of your big plot. I want to kill goblins. Goblins! And then uh, just went from there. Um, which is weird. And there are certainly problematic elements of the show. Yep. <laughs> I, That's all I'm going to say about that. I would say that you can skip actually watching it and go find the Goblin Slayer abridged version on YouTube. Yep, it's pretty funny. Which, uh, yeah, it is honestly better. Honestly better and less problematic. Um, but yeah, Beholders. They are a classic Dungeons & Dragons monster. They are a great threat to parties who are in that, like, teens or like level 10 plus zone um i will say the biggest difficulty with them is coming up with a proper story arc involving them because they are kind of simple in that they show up they have an area you find an area where there are beholders and they have created an organization to do secrety stuff and then you show up and try and kill them like, coming up with a plot and an arc that really gets you into the how-do-you-fight-this-beholder is something I am not sure I've figured out quite yet. Make your party work for the beholder. Well, I'm 
might throw one of the parties into the thing where the beholder is opposed to what they're going to be fighting. So maybe they could ally with it, or maybe they could just kill the beholder and take its shit. That would be useful in fighting the main enemy there about the main antagonist. Expropriation. Yes. Not cultural, but definitely magical item appropriation. Uh, and eat, that's be eat the beholders. Uh, I was trying to make some kind of joke about billionaires and beholders, but I, it didn't land. Continue. I mean, they're kind of similar. Elon Musk, basically a beholder. Oh, boy. Yep. But without the cool magical <laughs> rays or, you know, any of that shit. Um, I would argue that he's a beholder because he's not cool enough to be a dragon. Oof, that's a burn. <laughs> Is it? It's accurate, though, right? Yeah. Dragons are cool. Everyone loves dragons. Elon Musk wants that. He wants everyone to think he's cool and to love him. But, in fact, he's a paranoid maniac and, therefore, beholder. That's a solid burn right there. Yeah, don't let a beholder on Twitter. They would be way too racist. Yeah, they would. They'd be like one of those AI chatbots they let on Twitter and it immediately becomes Hitler. Yeah, in fact, I would very much consider it. That's a use of AI for dungeon mastering is using one of those to do the uh, dialogue for a beholder. Oh, that would be... Would be pretty entertaining. That would be awesome. I think that's the only good use... For, uh, that's not the only good use for AI in Dungeon Mastering. There's plenty of good uses. We'll have don't, to do an episode on let, AI uh, and TTRPGs. Don't let don't let wizards hear about that. We'll do an episode on AI and TTRPGs here <laughs> at some point. I, I have a more nuanced take than I think people might expect. I actually think it could be, it could be cool. Um, but, eh. I don't have I don't have a huge stake in the wizards being weird and what they're doing because I mean we can just we can go play another game we can play older versions I don't know yeah um but yeah that's beholders Woo! unless Ed do you have any other comments on beholders no I think I think they're neat just because they're so very weird um. I don't think I've actually ever been involved in a game that used Beholder, but I remember being in high school and liking the Beholder artwork. Uh, I had a campaign that ended right before they can the party confronted a Beholder. No! It was real annoying. Um, they were fighting through its lair. They had gotten to like the penultimate thing, which was a confrontation with a player character related backstory a backstory related npc that had been charmed by the beholder and was being forced to work for it and then they were preparing to invade its lair and the scheduling killed the group the the true enemy of any DD party yes the true dungeons and dragons apocalypse scheduling yep. so that's beholders uh, we have a segment on this podcast called Board Game Corner, and now Ed will talk about a board game. Oh, boy. Uh, are you a uh, 30 to 40-something middle-aged dad? Have you finally felt the call of World War II and not in a weird way? Um, then if you're a bit too intimidated by Advanced Squad Leader, which... Fair enough. It's not a game for everybody. You do you. Um, you might want to check out Combat Commander 
uh, by GMT Games. It is... I like to describe it as Squad Leader Light. It uses a similar uh, hex encounter type, type system that you find in a lot of historical war games. And they have different editions of the game. The first one, I believe, was Europe. And then they have the Pacific, uh, the Mediterranean, uh, Stalingrad, and there might be a couple of others. Um, works very similar. You have your little tokens of dudes. Each one repre represents a unit of about 10 unfortunate draftees. Uh, you have counters that represent special weapons, counters for leaders. But the thing that Combat Commander does really well is it is adds a lot of randomness that you don't see in Squad Leader. In Squad Leader, you get like obvious randomness through the dice rolls. Uh, but the randomness in Combat Commander is engineered well you have a deck of cards and a hand of cards that lets you do different things on your turn that's primarily how actions take place is by playing cards which is nice uh the cards also function as dice rolls so when you have to make an attack you flip a card off the top of the deck you look at what the dice number is and depending on what you roll different things happen um and the actual objectives and the timeline of the game are also somewhat randomized so it has certain spots on the map where you check in and see does anybody have enough points to win if not you guys keep going uh but it does mean that at any one of those points somebody could win so you're having you know you have a plan it's going kind of well and then oh <laughs> suddenly a japanese plane shows up strafes all your guys you end up having to do a points check and it's like, oh, they are holding the objective. Uh, just kind of the luck of the draw. So it has like a very um, interesting, almost like fog of war type mechanic that you don't see in a lot of war games where stuff will just come out of left field to just absolutely screw with your plans. And then the, probably the best aspect of Combat Commander is that you can play a game in about two hours or less. Uh, this isn't going to be the all-day affair that you have for uh, Advanced Squad Leader. So, if you want some World War II action but don't quite want to take that leap, uh, Combat Commander is a, a good choice. Yeah, so, uh, command some combat. Yep. And that's our show. As always, thank you for listening. Uh, we've been Knoll Country. You can find us on social media. On Instagram, we are at Knoll Country. On Twitter, we are not on Twitter. We... I, at least I don't post on Twitter anymore. Ed, have you been using the show account on Twitter? Uh, no, but I probably I should probably do some shit posting. I also like to uh, I use that one to look at like specific game related stuff rather than just my own account, which is just absolutely everything uh, with like games in between, just whatever random shenanigans I happen to be looking for. Uh, but I don't know. Maybe I'll still try and get uh, Elon's personal attention and get our account banned for the lulls. I don't know. I think that's the way we have to leave Twitter is by yeah. getting banned by the muskrat. Yeah, maybe if we maybe if we piss off uh, Wizards of the Coast enough, I don't know. Yeah, um, I think we need to like maybe do something explicit with that whole musk with the whole Elon Musk is a beholder <laughs> thing. <laughs> try and try and make that into a meme that makes the rounds. The Musk holder 
overseeing yeah, the overseeing emerald mines. Yes. Yeah. Um, maybe we can get ourselves banned off Twitter from that. Yeah. You'll find out if we do. Listeners. Yep. Uh, as you can also like, subscribe, etc. Just leave us a review. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Uh, hear the lamentations of their children as they are driven before you. And do all the things Ed's about to tell you to do. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Animadness. Uh, it's been several months since I posted anything just because I have not been really doing any hobby stuff. I haven't even really felt like posting any weird stories from Dwarf Fortress. So you can follow me, but you'll you'll see some other stuff there. And I don't know, maybe you'll get some recommendations from other people doing similar stuff. Um, don't talk to the cops. Uh, say no to Cop City at Atlanta. Uh, cause problems for your local Nazis. Uh, go Knowles. Go Knowles. <laughs>